please open your Bibles, first of all, to John's Gospel, chapter 13, where we're going to read the first 17 verses. Boys and girls will recognize that this is that well-known passage of Jesus lowering himself like a servant to wash his disciples' feet. John 13, we'll read the first 17 verses. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example and as ye should do, as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. And now let's turn in our Bibles to First Peter again where we read last Sunday morning the first verses. That was our text, and now our text this morning, our 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. Likewise, 
Ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. As you see in the top of your notes, verse 5 begins with the submission or the subjection of the congregation to the elders. The congregation must be in subjection. But there is that word likewise at the beginning of the verse. It means that there is another admonition. An admonition that comes to the congregation in general not only to be subject to the elders, but to, not as men now, but as office bearers, but now the Spirit, through the Apostle Peter, addresses the member of the congregation in relationship to one another. Be ye in subjection to one another, and be clothed with humility. Those two phrases belong together, and we'll see why pretty soon. So a path is prescribed for all of Christ's followers, and it is a walk of humility. The walk prescribed there, the means of that walk, and the motive of that walk. A walk of humility, notice then, a walk prescribed, how it is possible, and the reason for this walk. We'll begin with the walk that is prescribed. Be ye in subjection one to another. That is different than the subjection to the elders. The elders are the office bearers, as we said last week. And that means that the members in relationship to one another must also be humble and assume that attitude of humility. That is addressed to the whole congregation, all of them. They may not lord it over one another in pride. They may not jostle one another for position or for honor, but rather they must serve one another in the spirit of the love of God in Christ Jesus their Lord. Remember, the Spirit is using here Peter, who you will maybe remember that Peter and John and the other disciples were jostling and pushing for places of honor in Christ's kingdom, who would sit at Jesus' feet, or who would sit by his right hand or his left hand. We read of that in a couple of places. First of all, Luke chapter 9. Verse 46. 
Then there arose a reasoning among them, amongst all the disciples, which of them should be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their hearts, took a child and set them by, by him. And he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child of my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you, the same shall be great. Or again, we can go to also Matthew's gospel. Matthew 20, verse 21 and following. Then there came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, that's James and John, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. Jesus tells him, you don't know what you're talking about. Then we read in verse 24 of that gospel, and when the ten heard of it, that means the other ten disciples heard about what Peter and John were up to with their mother, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not so be among you. Whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jostling for position and for honor. And this same Peter is the one who watches Jesus take off his outer clothing and gird himself with a towel to wash the feet of the disciples. He did what none of the other disciples would do. He took the lowliest position possible, that of a slave, washing the dirty, dusty feet of his disciples. It was a deed to show his disciples, that he loved them. It was a sign of the cleansing power of his blood that would be shed on the cross and the power of his grace to humble himself to suffer and die for his own. What a lesson. A lesson that Peter now takes to all who are Jesus' disciples still today. The greatest is not he who rules, but he who serves. He who serves most. That is the rule of greatness in Christ's kingdom. In politics, greatness is measured by the degree of position or authority or power one possesses. But Jesus says, not so among you. Whosoever will be great among you shall be your servant. Those who try their utmost to be of service to God's people 
without regard whether or not they receive any recognition at all for it. They are the truly great in the kingdom of God. The distinction in Christ's kingdom is not to be found in putting others, oneself above others, but in willingness to serve one's brothers, to put oneself below others. What does this mean? being in subjection to one another, it does not mean, number one, like the Anabaptist rejection of a special office, it does not mean that elders must be subject to the congregation. We're not a democracy. It does not mean that anyone can compromise their conscience and their convictions. Our conscience must be our guide in matters of faith and of duty. We must all give an account of ourselves to God. So we must not submit in matters of conscience to be led by another, saying, well, everyone else is doing it. What is the duty? It is a recognition of and it is a regard to our mutual rights as Christians and as church members. That means that we have a high esteem and honor for all of our brothers and sisters as Christians. We have respect for one another. We don't treat one another with scorn or contempt or unkindness or holding their past forever against them. It means that we look at one another and we celebrate one another good qualities. As we read in Romans 12, verse 10, in honor, preferring one another. Or again, Philippians 2, verse 3, esteeming others better than ourselves. Loving one another. Teaching, admonishing, exhorting with patience and with long-suffering. It is a kindly yielding to each other in matters that don't involve conscience. It means serving one another in love. It means a readiness to submit to labor and inconveniences to promote the other's happiness. It means that we don't insist on having our own way, but rather our satisfaction is in pleasing our fellow members. As we read in Romans 15, verse 2, forbearing one another in love. Or again in Ephesians 4, verse 2, seeking not every man his own, but everyone his neighbor's wealth. We read of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20 and following, that he became all things to all men that he might gain some. That kind of mutual subjection, readiness to serve one another, should characterize all of us as members of the church in our conduct toward one another. Mutually do service. It's the same word for minister or servant or service. And how do we submit ourselves to one another? The means for doing that is 
we read, being clothed with humility. You see, it's impossible to be a servant without humility. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 tells believers to be put on humbleness. Humbleness of mind, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. So humility is humbleness of mind, lowliness of mind. It involves, it involves a just estimate of ourselves. And what must be our estimate of ourselves as we're called to examine ourselves in this coming week? It's an estimate of our nature, of our character, of our condition, of what we really deserve regarding our nature we are a creature that is infinitely inferior to any and every way dependent upon our God we're small little creatures not only are we small little creatures but beloved we are sinners we are sinners who are proper objects of God's righteous wrath those who are guilty, those who are depraved, who if saved, that salvation must be only by the riches of God's free grace and sovereign mercy. And an estimate of our character. You and I need to be impressed with the heinousness and the greatness of our sins. We have to recognize that our heart is deceitful above all and that in our flesh dwells no good thing. It means, beloved, a low opinion of ourselves intellectually, morally, and spiritually when compared to others. And it is also to notice the excellency of others rather than looking at their faults. Looking at our own faults rather than our excellencies. You and I know our faults and our deficiencies better than anyone, don't we? No one else knows the thoughts that go through my mind or the desires of my heart. But we each know them, don't we? Whatever is good in us has been put in us by God in his grace. And therefore we shouldn't be puffed up, but rather even deepened in our humility. And so the apostle Paul here uses a figure. We must clothe ourselves with humility. That verb to clothe refers to the act of putting on the apron of service as a slave's garment. Put on humility for the purpose of standing in a relationship to service to one another. In the olden days, mothers quite often were still dressed in dresses in the house and they would put an apron around themselves as they were cooking and serving the family, lest they get their dress spoiled with the food. Well, that's the image that is given to us here, putting on this apron of service, a garment that right away 
states our position. We're here to serve. Let me give a different illustration for the boys and girls. In the rice paddies of the Philippines, if you're going to work there, you don't wear nice clothes and you don't have patent leather shoes on, but rather you have rough clothing and bare feet or boots to muck through that mud of the fields. And so we read in John 13 that Jesus took off his outer garments and he clothed himself with a towel like a servant's job. He tied it around himself. He took water, washed their dirty, dusty feet, and with a towel that was around his waist, he would dry them. His readiness to serve. And Jesus says, doesn't he, in John 13, I have given you an example. And that wasn't just for his apostles. But now through Peter, the Holy Spirit brings that same thing to you and to me. Clothe, we must clothe ourselves this way. Not just once in a while to impress someone else, but daily. That's the way we have to stand before each other and before God. Servants. Whether it be me as a minister whether it be the elders of our church, whether it be the janitor, whether it be the one who plays the organ, one who arranges flowers, or any other task that you do. A proud, self-conceited person is not qualified to serve others. But it is a humble-minded person that is ready to serve who feels honored in doing any kind of service to promote the honor of our Lord and the welfare of his saints. Clothe yourself with humility. That brings me to my second point. How is it possible to walk that way? For that humility does not come naturally. We have to learn that humility. We have to clothe ourselves with that humility. Because by nature, you and I are proud and self-centered. The devil was proud. He didn't want to be one of the mightiest angels in heaven under God, but he wanted to be equal with God. Adam and Eve, in their perfect condition, were proud. They wanted to be equal with God. Lamech, later on, boasts how he has killed two men over against Cain, who killed only one man. Nebuchadnezzar strutted around like a rooster, saying, look at this great city that I have built. By nature, we are proud, and by nature, we do not esteem others better than ourselves. And so this walk of humility is rooted in the principle of regeneration. In regeneration, we die to ourselves and we are made alive in Christ Jesus. We live as Christ's servants by God's sovereign grace. 
Their humility is rooted in the principle of the love of God in Christ Jesus. The love of God was revealed to us, wasn't it, in the face of Jesus Christ. The love of God was shown to us when he sent his son down to this world to save sinners like us. And that love of God now is worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Do you see by faith Jesus Christ humbling himself to death? When he set his face to go to Jerusalem even though he knew what the end would be. When he went there as the obedient servant of God. That. That was the highest service of humility that was ever rendered by anyone. He laid down his life for his sheep. It was that love and humility that was demonstrated by Jesus to his disciples in the washing of their feet. Jesus there, the night before he was going to be betrayed, went through a symbolic act. Taking the part of a servant, looking forward to his suffering and his death for his saints, Christ, the Master, became the servant of all them that they might be completely clean. He would pour out his blood on Calvary's cross to cleanse poor sinners, wretched sinners like you and me. How did he do it? Not grudgingly, not complaining, but willingly, voluntarily. Not my will, he said, but thy will be done. A symbolic act, an example to his disciples, A symbolic act, an example to you and me. The importance of service to our fellow brethren. Washing of feet. A picture of the washing of regeneration and a picture of the daily sanctification, that washing away of sin, resisting sin, and living for God and living for one another. You see, sanctification, your and my sanctification, is a daily necessity. What did Jesus say to Peter? What did he say to his disciples? He said, you are clean, not all of you, but you are clean, regenerated sons of God. And yet he goes through this act because daily they would need that work of sanctification in their hearts and lives. Yes, Peter had a long ways to go yet, didn't he? Because only in a matter of hours he who would boast about himself would deny the Lord three times. Oh, the beautiful tears that came from Peter's eyes when the cock crew and he recognized what he had done to his Lord, the pride that he had, I will never boast thee. Sanctification, 
that you and I need to pray for and work at God working in our hearts. And so as Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he says, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. What does that mean for you and for me? It means be ready to render to the brother whatever service is needful, no matter how lowly it might seem. If we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we will assume that same attitude because he is the Spirit of Christ, isn't he? He reminds us of what Christ said and what Christ did, and he works in us that desire to be like Christ, to give of ourselves for the Master, but also to give ourselves for one another. How is that possible? It's possible, beloved, by our fighting antithetically the old sinful flesh that is in us. We have to fight, beloved, because by nature we're still filled with carnal pride. It's in our members. And if Adam and Eve in the state of perfection became proud, wanting to be equal with God, how much more don't we need this spirit working in us who have that old sinful flesh now and so easily we give way to pride, wanting advancement, wanting others to recognize us and to serve us. A fight. Constantly, we have to say no to ourselves, say no to that pride, say no to that wanting that high position, and saying yes, as Christ Jesus was obedient servant to his father, an obedient servant for his people, I too desire to be a servant of God and a servant to my brothers and my sisters. Constantly and daily. You see, this is not just an act for one moment, but it's something that we have to fight and work at every day. Clothe yourselves with humility. Put on that garment of humility. That brings me, beloved, to the third point. The reason for this walk. You will find that in our text negatively first. God resisteth the proud. Peter there is quoting from Proverbs 3, verses 33 and 34. God resisteth the proud. God stands opposed to the proud. God is against the proud in all of their life, in all of their attitudes, and in all of their work. There is not a common grace of God for the wicked, for the reprobate. But there is only wrath. There is only opposition. Pride 
is the carnal characteristic of the natural man, the unregenerate man, absolutely of the reprobate. That is the person who doesn't know God in Christ Jesus and the person that is not known by God from everlasting to everlasting in his counsel as his own. The carnal man is always proud, raising up his fist in opposition and rebellion against God and against others. And God is opposed to him. What does that practically mean? It means that God hates the proud. God will not have anything to do with him and his grace. There is no grace, there is no favor, but rather there is hatred and wrath. And that is found in the wicked's walk and life and their works. God stands opposed, and therefore the life and the work of the wicked will appear there in perdition. But it sounds so nice to say that God is opposed to the wicked who are proud. But even the regenerate child of God, God's attitude when God's people walk according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. When God's people act proud and not humble, God is opposed to them. And God's anger will flare out at them. Think of David, that mighty king, a friend of God. When in his pride he doesn't go out with the rest of the army to fight God's enemies, but instead he sits on his laurels on his rooftop, eyeing his neighbor's wife. Nathan has to come to David and point out that sin of pride, rebellion. He is the man. Or later on when David numbers the people of Israel in his pride. This is the people, this is the army I have. What terrible consequences for David and the nation of Israel. They experienced God's wrath rather than his grace. They must humble themselves. And in the way of humbling themselves and confessing their sin, there is forgiveness. So why must we walk humbly, clothed with humility, number one, negatively, because God resisteth the proud, and now secondly, positively, because God gives grace to the humble. To them God gives his grace. That is, he favors them. It's an attitude of love, favor. And he blesses them. He gives them all the blessings of grace. And they become conscious of those blessings from day to day. As the one hymn writer writes, Count your many blessings, name them one by one. 
David, when he was humbled by God through Nathan, knew the forgiveness of his sins. He was liberated from his position and from his sin and death. He knows the glory and the hope which God gives his people, all of his people. Beloved, we forfeit those blessings when we assume an attitude of pride. But we receive those blessings when we wear the garment of humility and service. The humble increase in grace. They grow in grace. And that's our calling in our life, isn't it? That's what the elders will ask in house visitation. Are you growing in your knowledge and are you growing in your grace? Are you becoming richer and richer in God's blessings of grace? Think a moment of the man that the Holy Spirit uses to bring this text to the people of his day and today. Peter. He's not the same man that he was. Proud earlier. Even if all others forsake you, I will never forsake you. Great tears of sorrow. Humbled by God in his denial of the Christ. But restored. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you even really like me? Restored and strengthened. And now he's made by God an instrument to teach and lead all of God's people. Don't be proud. Don't seek for a position of honor. Don't expect others to serve you. But be servants, clothed with humility. And that is why the admonition that comes there in verse 6, isn't it? You would say, Peter said it all already in verse 5. Be humble, because God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. But that's not enough, isn't it? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. The mighty hand of God. Do you feel it? Do you feel it in the sufferings that he brings in your life? Not just the suffering of persecution. In Peter's day, the Christians were hated by the Jews and then by the Romans. They would go through those persecutions. But it's not only persecutions for the sake of Christ, but the very sufferings that come in our life because of sin. Sickness and pain and sorrow, the death of loved ones, all those things that are there. 
because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And you and I can take comfort then in it. While we experience all these sufferings under the mighty hand of God, God is in control. Those sufferings come to the church also. But these sufferings, because it pleases God to lead his church from their sin and their death to glory. In no other way than by suffering and sin and death. That's the way Jesus attained his glory through the suffering and death of the cross. That's the way that you and I will attain the glory that is ours through a life of suffering and pain. What comfort? What comfort then in the sufferings of this present time? By faith, we have to see that it is the loving hand of our God that brings these things on us so that we're not attached to this world so that we're not puffed up like the world, so that we don't have the attitude of the world looking for position and honor and... No. The Lord chastens whom he loves in order to know their own smallness. They are willing servants. No good in themselves. They look away from themselves to their God in Christ Jesus. And we go through the sufferings of this present time because of the hope that is set before us. And that is also expressed in verse 6, isn't it? God will exalt you in due time. In his time. It refers to the end it reveals to the glory that will be revealed in us. You who know the Ordo Salutis, the order of salvation, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, begins with regeneration, the calling by the gospel worked within us, faith worked in our hearts so that we're converted, we are justified, we are sanctified. We are preserved and are glorified. God will exalt you in due time, at the proper time, in his time, immediately after death, when our souls are taken up into heaven and are rid of all sin, transformed with Christ. Sometimes also in this life that glory is given to us. The glory of being able to serve one another knowing we're serving God. But beloved, what is really referred to in verse 6 is especially the end. The end of all this world. Even as there was the old world renewed in Noah's time by the flood. This earth also is going to be renewed, cleansed by fire. And there in the new heavens and the new earth with body and soul, we will be with Christ Jesus in his kingdom and serving him. And those who are in the lowest positions 
he will exalt in due time. Called for. And something for us to look at in our lives as we examine ourselves in this coming week. Do I know my sin? Do I know that I have no standing in myself? Do I know myself as the worst of sinners? And do I know that in Christ Jesus those sins are all forgiven so that now I give myself not to get a position of honor and glory of myself, but rather that I may serve my God in Christ and I may serve my fellow believers. A walk of humility and service commanded by God, made possible by God, and rewarded by God in his grace. Amen. Father in heaven, what a tough 